The Mindspo Podcast. What do you see with your mind's eyes? Welcome back. Let's elevate. Roll your shoulders up and back. Unclench your jaw. Elongate your spine as you take a deep breath in. And now, exhale. Now take your mind to that person, place, or thing that you have gratitude for and start to feel into the joy available to you at all times. Elevate into a higher vibration as we expand together and dive into this conversation. Welcome back to the Mindspo podcast. My name is Rochelle Fox. I am your host. And today I am so excited to record another deep dive episode with a very special guest. To others, this guest is known as a surfer, an extreme sports junkie, an influencer, a mental health advocate, and one of Australia's rising DJs. But to me, he's just one of my closest mates. I'm talking about Alex Hayes. Now, Alex is someone who has a magnetic and, to be honest, just electric energy about him. And there's a good reason for that. Behind his fancy reels on Instagram, there's a man with a powerful and deep mindset that I would best describe as a natural philosopher. This conversation with Alex goes in so many different directions. We dive into the power of embracing the present moment and how you can find your own flow state, how Alex has overcome adversity, including his history with high school bullying, insecurity, depression, and mental health, Alex's unique perspective on ADHD and how he's turned what would be perceived as a weakness into an absolute superpower. We also dive into practical strategies for practicing digital wellness and maintaining balance in a tech-driven, fast-paced world. And we go into Alex's journey with alcohol and the rewards that you can find from staying true to yourself and not following the crowd and so, so, so much more. This conversation was super chilled, open, and authentic, and I know you're going to get a lot out of it. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Mindspo podcast. We are here deep diving with Alex Hayes today. Alex, so good to have you on the Mindspo pod. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we've spoken about this for so many years. Even before you had a podcast, we were always like, we're going to do a podcast one day. And 100%. now we're doing it. So I'm stoked. I'm so happy to have you here. It's funny, thinking about the intro for this podcast, I find it so hard to explain who you are and what you do. And I think the best way that I describe you is just like an energy. You are just like an electric energy. You are doing so many things. You've got your hands in so many pies. How do you even explain to people like what it is you do? If I could answer it and go straight into a philosophical answer, I think just the flow state, like anything that involves me being completely in the moment and in that flow is what I live for. And mm. I think I'm so lucky that I have this diverse menu of action sports that I can do to bring me that flow and presence. And if I had to answer one right now for what's bringing me the most joy at this period of time in my life, it, it might change tomorrow, but I would have to say hydrofoiling. Mm -hmm. It's just like the most magical and unreal feeling that doesn't necessarily make sense to me with how it works, but it's just the best feeling in the world. I want to get into foiling straight away. Like for someone that's just heard of foiling, explain to someone like what even is foiling? It's for me, it's surfing while flying at the same time. And somehow you actually make yourself look majestic while doing it, which I think is wild because I feel like the first videos I ever saw of foiling were you. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. But then I've seen now like a million other videos of foiling and I'm like, you're actually really good at this. Like you have a natural talent to just make this look easy, but this is not easy, is it? No, it's it's really, really hard. And I'm still pretty early on in my journey with it and I just love it so, so much. It's like the best way to explain it, take aerodynamics, for example. It's like how a plane flies through the air is the same way the foil flies through the water. So it's like you have to have forward momentum and an upward lift to then create the projection through the water. And then with waves, you have the momentum and the forward progression to keep that lift up. And then you can have, for example, what I'm doing mostly is not the e-foil, the electric foils, but there is an electric foil where you have a remote and a propeller and 
it's like a remote control thing. It's like baffling. Tell child Alex when I was 14 that this is possible. I'd be like, no, what? It sounds amazing. But yeah, there's so many different ways to experience the foil. And <laughs> you're opening up a massive can of worms, worms by asking me about foiling straight away because I'll talk for this for the next two hours. No, I love it. I think it's so fascinating. And I think it's something that it's really new to me. Like foiling is such a new thing. And I think that it's something that you do really well. And I find it fascinating. Like it's, some of your spoil videos, like I'll just go online. I'm just like stuck on your reels. I'm like, dude, I really want to do this one day, but I know Alex is making this look like way easier than it actually is. It is uh, pretty dangerous because it's most of the time it's aluminium or carbon fiber. So it's like pretty strong materials that if you do fall on in a critical position, you're getting really, really hurt. Mm. So yeah, be careful out there. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to get more into that because that's one thing about you. You're very into like the extremes. And you said something just then, like if the 14-year-old Alex could see me falling now, he'd be like, oh my God, whoa, like you wouldn't believe this is possible. Talk to me about your childhood. Like what is it about like young Alex that kind of made you just one, so obsessed with pushing the limits to so in the pursuit of literally being present, literally finding that flow state. Is there something in your childhood that made you really want to continue to find flow state in everything that you do? I'll run it back a little bit. When I was younger, although I have an amazing life, my parents are amazing. I'm very fortunate. You know, growing up in Australia, it's one of the best countries in the world. There's not much adversity that I have to go through. But I, I did go through a lot of bullying and, and that led me to feel really insecure, low self-esteem and, you know, really depressed through my schooling years. And it was really horrible. I was in this dark, dark world in my head that I was dealing with. I'm being myself, but people are being so mean to me about it. Mm. In hindsight, I understand why. It's just people deflecting their insecurities. But at the time, it was my world and, and that was all I knew. I'd go to school, get treated like shit. I didn't really care about academics in school. I didn't like, I knew it wasn't for me. So I was in this world where I was just showing up and feeling quite dark. And the only place that I would really feel that, that joy that really is a big part of what got me through all those times was skating, surfing, cliff jumping, or, you know, anything that <laughs> put my life in danger <laughs> that I had to really switch on mm -hmm. and be completely immersed in the moment that would bring me that joy that nothing else matters. And, and this is why I live. What is it about being in danger that makes you feel so alive? I think to really understand life and, and respect it, you have to understand that death is inevitable and that sometimes reminders that we're very close to death in our day-to-day -day lives reminds you that it's really important to live. Mm. Take driving a car, for example. Like we're so desensitized to the fact that when we're on the highway, we are milliseconds away from dying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just so normalized that we don't really understand it. We're driving and just like oblivious to it. But then when I'm like jumping off a cliff and like I'm mentally preparing it at I'm looking at this 20 meter cliff jump into the ocean that I need to be so tapped into the moment because if I'm not and I'm not present enough, I'll make a mistake and I could die or I could have a really bad injury. And I think when I was younger, I didn't necessarily have the professional approach that I would have now, mm -hmm. you know, trial and error. <laughs> but yeah, just like the reminders that, Life is precious and these things bring me that adrenaline and that real like force of life that makes me just want to continue being in that flow state. Is there like something that's happened in your life that's really made you kind of face up with death and just think about death? Because I feel like death in general is something that most people in their 20s don't really think about. They think they're invincible. And even for me hearing you say that, I think it's so interesting because Sometimes I would look at the shit that you do <laughs> as your friend. And I would just be like, what is he doing? Like you scare the living daylights out of me. But even just to hear that you have such an understanding that you have to be so present and you have to be so aware while doing those things. Does that come from something that's happened? I mean, I've, I've had a lot of injuries in my time and I've been in some dark patches from those injuries because I do get a lot of joy out of moving and, and doing activities. And so when that's stripped from me, I really have to sit with my thoughts and, and learn to deal with my in, internal dialogue and and also just deal with not moving. But I, I've lost a few friends when I was younger and just family. Like People die. <laughs> and I guess that made me realize that like from a young age that none of this is certain and, and none of this is is a right, you know, it's a, like, it's a privilege that we get to wake up every day and have an opportunity to open our eyes. And I think 
having dealt with loss and also just my own personal activity loss has made me really appreciate getting after life and to live daily. I think that's my mantra is to live daily because tomorrow's not certain. Yeah. So I, I, I know that you've personally lost someone close to you to suicide and how has something like that really kind of shaped the way you approach stuff? Like was that a moment in your life that kind of was a turning point? That was a real moment in my life as a turning point because when I lost my friend to suicide, it was really out of nowhere. And it was kind of like we were, we were really good friends in school and then after school I went off and kind of did my own thing. I got to travel around a lot and then uh, like 2017 got the message that my, my friend died and it was just like – holy shit, like it was so out of nowhere. And although I was living my life to the fullest and having such an amazing, amazing time, it reminded me that no one is bulletproof to this. No one is is immune to feeling anxiety. No one's immune to feeling depression. And I think that put into perspective how I felt, even though life was so good to me, that I did, hadn't dealt with a lot of the the traumas, insecurities and, and, and self-doubts and just, I guess, depression that I was going through when I was in school because I was very low, but I was just very good at just putting on a mask. And even to this day, I really am, but I know how to deal with things due to knowing people like you and Chris, you guys fucking saved my life, seriously. And I guess when my friend unfortunately passed away, I started to preach a lot on social media about how important mental health is. And by preach, I don't mean I was being a bad preacher, but I was just telling everyone you know, to, to really be aware of it, really, really be aware of it and go see a psychologist or go do these meditation things. Then he hit a point where I was like, hang on a second, I've got stuff in, I've got skeletons in my closet that I necessarily haven't dealt with. And who am I to, to preach all of this stuff? Although it was coming from good intentions, I felt it was unfair for me to be, be sharing everyone the answers, yet I hadn't been listening to my own advice. Mm. So I saw a psychologist and like started to, to deal with my own problems. I don't want to say problems, but my own adversities. And I saw a psychologist like six months and then they prescribed me antidepressants and diagnosed me with PTSD, depression, anxiety. And the, the day that I was going to take my first antidepressant, something didn't really feel right in my heart. And I kind of had to really take a step back and look at my life as a whole and ask myself, do I need to have certain things in my life right now that are bringing me down, like alcohol, coffee, hanging out with certain people that might not make me feel good or being in certain environments that didn't make me feel like I belonged? And so I had to remove a lot of those things before I, I took this medication. That's just how I looked at it because mm. I just felt like I wasn't giving myself the best opportunity to be great and to be the Alex that I believed I could be if I didn't take these bad foods off the table. So I, I stripped my life down of the negatives and really focused on meditation, breath work, training every single day, reading, learning, learning about myself and, and gaining new experiences and being around new people that I might not have been around before because I was so stuck in my ways. Mm. And that led me to learn a lot about myself. And I think without even needing to speak, my energy started to help people rather than me having to preach about it. And that was a big turning point for me that I just wanted to, to keep on living like. Yeah. So I guess that really kind of goes into this whole concept of living daily. Like you said, this is your motto. This is, I guess, the energy that you stand behind. And the Live Daily brand to me is you to a T. <laughs> like it is for me, it's all about being present. It's all about balance. It's about looking after yourself, but not doing it in a way where you stop having fun and finding joy. And I think that that's also why you're such an interesting character, because I feel like there are so many people that have all these different facets of themselves. Oh, I'm a DJ. I'm a health person, but you're not really, you're extreme, but you don't take things to like extremes with judgment. Like you're so happy just to kind of go in and out of each kind of stream that you do so talk to me about live daily what that means to you and and how you sort of embody that on a day-to-day -day basis it's a really simple way to for me to wake up every day smiling because you know as i said earlier like tomorrow is not promised and you can spend a whole life without even really being alive and i think it's it's quite sad when you really take a look into society and understand that the older you are the more fucked up you are if you really don't look after yourself and you really don't actually make it a habit to live and, and to do the things that you enjoy and to do the things that bring you that love and joy. And I think that 
if you have the opportunity to do things that make you feel good and you're not doing it, then you're not living. And I think that's why we're here at the end of the day. If you take all, all of the expectations that we have as humans and remove them, we're just monkeys wearing suits and we're here to enjoy this moment. And this moment is all we literally have. And if you're not really feeling that joy from the moment and feeling the love of the downs as well, that's, you got to ride it like a roller coaster, you know, and really in- enjoy it for what it is. And yeah, not be too hard on yourself and just, yeah, have fun. <laughs> yeah. So when you look at your day, like what are some non-negotiable things that are kind of pillars of you like living daily, feeling your best? I like to look at this. I, I wake up and I have a menu of activities, tools to to help my mental health, workouts or like people I can hang with that make me feel a certain way. And I'm not ticking the same five boxes every day. It's like I have the opportunity to do a couple, a handful of things out of a million. But some non-negotiables for me are like meditation. I think that is the key to most of my presence is is understanding my brain. And I am not my thoughts. I'm just my actions. And so meditation is a non-negotiable. And training, I'm very into my training. I've had a, a coach for the last 10 years. I've worked with different coaches, but recently I've, I've been working with a coach daily who's taught many world champions in the surf world and athletes from all aspects. And you know, he's like a, a really good mentor in that sense, because I'm really ADHD and I have all this energy that can be a train wreck if it's not controlled, but it can be a superpower if it is controlled. Mm-hmm. So I really focus on trying to harness that. And uh, yeah, training is one thing I need as a human. Otherwise I'm a full scatterbrain. And I think having an activity once a day, like one sort, one activity, whether that's surfing, chess, reading a book, although that's not as fun. That's <laughs> surfing's way funner. <laughs> but reading or a book, yeah, or foiling. <laughs> yeah. When I say surfing these days, I want I like ninety nine percent of the time in foiling. But yeah, anything that brings me that rush. So I've got the calm, I've got the I've got the harness, and then I've got the rush. And that's like, that's the structure I like to go off. Mm. I think one thing that I find really interesting that I just want to mention here is I'll never forget. So I came and stayed with you after COVID and you were the first kind of stop that I stayed at after that whole entire thing. And I came back to Australia and I was at your house for about two weeks and I had been living like a really kind of sedentary life, honestly, throughout COVID. Hadn't been moving much. You don't walk much in Bali. I'd been traveling around. And I remember I got to your place. And Sol and I were kind of potatoes. Like we had, we were like staying at your house. And I think it was on like day three, you had been with us and you hadn't gone out and exercise or move because we were just talking so much. Like we had, so we had two years <laughs> we to, had catch, a lot up to on. catch up on. Yeah. And we're like sitting there and chilling. And I'll never forget, you just turned to me and you're like, I've got to move. And I was like, what do you mean? And you're like, we haven't moved. Uh, and I had this really big aha moment. And I, I literally credit you to this in my like identity shift where that was a moment where I observed you and I was so fascinated because I was like, wait, you have in your identity ingrained this idea of movement. And it's like you move in such a way that it's not for aesthetics or to look a certain kind of way or necessarily to be competitive. Although you are a great looking guy, you're a competitive dude and you you move and you're healthy and fit, but you just move from an essence of this is just what you do. You're just active. You're having fun. Like for you, it's like we hadn't kicked a ball around or done anything. And in that moment, you literally got up and you're like, let's kick the ball. I need to kick the ball. And I was just fascinated because I, I had this moment myself where I was like, I want that as part of my identity. I was like, that's so cool. I'm like, that's magnetic to me because it was just this, this kind of pillar of how you live your life. It's not, I have to go to the gym and do this grueling workout. It was like, no, I just have to move. I have to be active. I have to get those endorphins going. And I think that it's so interesting for you as a person. Cause when I say, what are your non-negotiables to me, you make your non-negotiables so effortless because you embody this concept of the daily living. Like it's not that you have, yes, you have discipline, but to me, it's more that you have such a fundamental lifestyle that you are embodying on a day-to-day basis. And just like what you said, which I think is so fascinating, now I'm like connecting the dots with you as a person. It's like you you literally have made a decision. You're not just going to talk about this shit. Like you're doing it. That's just who you are. And I think that's really cool. And I think it, for people that are listening to this, that to me I feel is when things become so effortless. Because if we're trying and trying and doing it to look a certain kind of way, like this is just who you are when no one's looking. And I think that is really when we start to see changes in our life, when it starts being like who we actually are at our core. 
So you talked a little bit about meditation. I want to get into that. So I was really lucky to be able to teach meditation. And I taught you and your brother at your place before you knew Chris. And then I know Chris taught you again. And you've always been so kind to say like beautiful things about meditation and the Mindspo method. And I just love to like you to explain like what has meditation been to you and how has it helped you in your journey with just doing so much stuff? Yeah. I'm actually going to repeat what you told me the first day that you taught me and it's stuck with me because it's so simple and it doesn't involve many words, but it's, I'm waking up every morning and brushing my teeth and I'm every night before going to bed, I'm brushing my teeth and I'm so like disgusted if I don't, but our brain and our mind is our most important asset and our most fundamental organ. It's our most important asset. And if we're not cleaning it every single day, we're going to have cavities or otherwise known as anxiety. We're going to have depression. We're going to have adversities that we won't understand how to deal with. And that's going to lead to a life of darkness without dealing with it. And so for me, that was just the non-negotiable it became was like, all right, well, I need to clean my teeth. I need to clean my brain. And if I don't, I become a, a scatterhead. I'm scatterbrained. And it's funny, my, my parents to this day are so confused as to how I can meditate because I was the kid that was on a leash. <laughs> I was the toddler that was on a dog leash walking around can, on, with my parents. I can so see that. <laughs> no, like, I, I, like I, I'd go to Disneyland and I'd be on a leash and they'd write their numbers on my forearm because I would somehow run away with the leash and someone would have to call the number on my forearm. These are all very vague memories and my brother has some funny stories as well with this. But I was the kid on the leash and then now I'm meditating for up to like 45 minutes because of you guys opening this amazing door for me. And even things like I used to never be able to sleep on planes and now I can I can choose when I sleep. It's like this magical force that's absolutely changed my life in so many ways and it's been so right in front of my face, these changes. Mm. So to me, meditation is just such a, a superpower once, you know, you, you work through the cracks and it's really hard. And even even to this day, it's been like, what, it's 2023. It's been like eight years or something. And I still have days where I really struggle and I can't focus. And there's days where I'm coming up with every single excuse or there might be a week where I don't meditate because I am my own worst enemy at the end of the day. And I'll make any excuse under the sun. Like I don't have time. Or I've got all this other stuff to do and I won't do it. But then I feel it and I really am aware of it. And I'm like, oh my God, I haven't done what I need to do. I haven't cleaned my teeth. And that's just, yeah, that's what's really helped me on my journey. Yeah. I love that so much. When you think about Alex with meditation and without meditation, how do you, would you describe yourself before finding meditation with your mental health? I think, <laughs> geez, I don't want to say disaster. <laughs> I want to say beautiful disaster. <laughs> A beautiful chaos. A beautiful chaos. Yeah. No, it's like yin and yang. I, yeah, far out. Alex without meditation, annoying, <laughs> really annoying. Very small doses of Alex. And now after? Still small doses, but a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that so much. I think that it's it's so cool how meditation has like helped you so much. And you're also someone like, I'd love you to talk a little bit about ADHD and like that whole entire journey that you've been on. Cause you're someone that's actually been, did I say it right? ADHAD. ADHD. ADHD. Yeah. yeah. My, my brain, <laughs> my brain, but I'd love you to talk about that. So you're someone that, you know, has been prescribed medication for that. Like it's a full diagnosis. It's something that you had struggled with growing up. And I also know it's something that was kind of sort of projected on you as a weakness growing up. It wasn't ever projected as like a superpower. It was more like, oh, you've got this thing. And you have completely transformed your relationship with that. So how has meditation helped you with that? And also how have you even just navigated that? Well, it was something that when I was in school, I was the weird kid. And like before I was diagnosed, I was a troublesome kid. And it was like, I need help. Like, I'm always getting in trouble or I'm just saying things that I shouldn't and just unharnessed energy. And so I went to this this doctor in the city after getting in a lot of trouble when I was like 13 or 14. And they did a brain scan on me and they discovered that I had a really, really large amount of ADHD and that anything that I didn't enjoy just don't even bother getting me to do it. There's literal images of my brain that show if I'm not interested in something, don't even bother getting me to try to do it. And so they put me on a really, really, really large amount of medication. It was like 64 milligrams of Concerta, which is like a long-lasting ADHD medication. And then I would have to take eight Ritalins a day. So that's mm. two at, at morning and then two at recess, two at lunch, and then two at the end of the day. 
just at the same time. It was like an adult dose. That's yeah, wild. And I had to get my brain scanned like twice a year, so once every six months to show my progress. And I'd have to go in one day without medication or one day with medication. And it was crazy what that shit actually did to me. But although I was able to do well at school and the teachers would know, they would call my parents if because I would I hated it. I hated how I felt. I didn't eat properly. I wouldn't know how to speak to people. I was socially awkward when I was on it. Although I was just a workhorse in school and I could ace everything that I did, I didn't enjoy how I felt. I think that was also a lot of the reason to me feeling pretty shit as well was like all that chemical imbalance in my head, which is, I was just like a robot. Mm. But yeah, so understanding at that time in my life, I thought ADHD was a massive liability. People in my life were saying he's a weirdo. I couldn't go to school unless I had it. My parents, like, although they probably didn't want me on it anyway, but they just were doing what they were told with what they knew. And it was like a, a massive negative. But then as I grew a little bit older and, and got to experience more and understand more about myself and how other successful people have the same thing, that it's a massive, massive superpower. And that if I don't enjoy what I do, then I shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> Why should I have to take this substance that makes me do something I don't want to do? That's not what life's about. So I kind of like when I was 21 or like 20, I didn't even know what age. I don't even know. How old am I now? 25. Maybe like right after school, I stopped taking it and just decided to just try an alternate route and that was around the time that I met you mm. and meditation and I remember you taught me and I didn't really incorporate meditation for six months to a year after that because I just couldn't do it but then Chris came and he sat me down again he goes listen to Rochelle she, <laughs> she knows and and taught me again and then it really I guess I just needed that little bit of time to mature and understand that hey this is actually what I need so meditation taught me to instead of run away from my thoughts just to let them pass and to harness my superpower, not avoid it. And yeah, ADHD became like a massive superpower. And I try to talk about it to everyone because I never forget how alienated and, and unwanted I felt when I was the weed kid. And I was the kid that no one wanted to be around because I was hyperactive and always wanted to kick the soccer ball <laughs> and just, just unharness energy and energy that I guess the school system couldn't deal with. Wow. That's that. So wild. I think it's so cool how you've sort of really carved your own path and you're such an example of you don't have to follow a traditional path. Like you can decide and create your own reality and do whatever it is that you want to do. And you are constantly just like you said, like following what excites you. And that's, I think, why you see success in all these different things that you do, because none of it is this kind of energy of like, oh, I don't know about this. Everything's like a fuck yes. There's not really anything I think that you do that is like a mediocre. You just wouldn't even pick it up, which is wild. I want to talk about danger and fears. Alex, what are you scared of? It's a good question. I think without fear, there cannot be courage. And I, I am fearful of quite a lot of things. Like but what, what I'm addicted to is overcoming those fears. I used to be scared of the dark till I was 15. I okay. couldn't sleep alone. So there was a point in school, I think it was just maybe my traumas or something. I'm not too sure, but I could not sleep in the dark. So when I was in high school trying to be the big guy, I couldn't sleep at night in the dark and I had to see a psychologist for a point in time that my parents were there. They had to like have one night where my mom would be next to my bed and then the next night she'd be two steps away from my bed. The, the third night, three steps away from my bed. No. It was like a 21-day task that we did to help me sleep alone in the dark. And at the end of the 21 days, I got a three-day surf trip. And it took like a, a few rounds of actually trying this because it, it had to be consecutive days. At least I got the incentives right. I was yeah. going to say, I'm like, there's some pretty good incentives there yeah. for young 15-year-old Alex. Yeah, yeah. Surf trip at the end of this. Exactly. And that I was just really terrified of the dark. And that's a fear that I kind of overcame as, as a kid. And no one really knew about that because I was so embarrassed and ashamed by it because mm. I didn't want to be scared of the dark while I'm also at school trying to be the big wave surfer. <laughs> but to answer your question, I'm fearful of big waves as well. Although it's my passion, the ocean is the most powerful source of energy in my life at the point, at this point, or at any point. And I have to be fearful of that to respect its power. So I'm, I'm scared of that. I'm scared of my parachute not opening. I'm scared of being in a car. I'm scared of being in a plane where I don't have the control. Just the other day, I, I, I was in a layover and I had to fly through Hong Kong and the plane went to land and it was it just about to touch down and then it took off again yeah. and i was like oh my god what's gonna go what's going on we're dying i'm crashing and it was like the worst feeling in the world and so i'm a bit scared of flying but you know still just gotta show up and fly 
and yeah. So like when you say to me, I'm scared of big wave surfing still, right? You do some stuff that in my brain, I just, there is so much fear in it that I couldn't even imagine myself doing it. How do you as a person, like when you're scared of something, still just keep going? Is there like a negotiation that you have within your head? What is that conversation between Alex and fear that happens internally? Mm, it's it's a good question. I think it's a bit a big part of why I do these action sports and I guess put my life on the line because for me, it's a really, really tough balance of having to listen to my intuition mm -hmm. to not do something and then on the other side of it, overcoming fear because I can do something. And it's like there's been several times where I'll just, I'll just take cliff jumping, for example, where I've gone to this cliff jump and there's cameras there, there's people there, but I'm at the top of it and in my head I'm, I have a double backflip in mind, but I don't feel, I don't feel right and there's something in my head saying like, hey, like maybe today's not the day. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of it, it could be just me having self-doubt. But it's seven times out of 10, I'll probably walk away and follow my intuition because there's always another day. Like it's understanding when to not show up and understanding when to show up. And for me, why I do what I do and why I train and train the mind, the body is to become closer with my intuition to let that guide me rather than let the fear guide me. Mm -hmm. So then I know when to overcome it and then when I know when to turn away. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's gotten better with age? Yeah. I mean, as I said, I've had a lot of injuries, so trial and error, <laughs> you know. About to say. Trial Honestly, and error. sometimes when I open my Instagram, I was like, no, not another one. Yeah. But how did – like that's one thing, like talking about injuries. How are you someone that can be injured so much? And sometimes it's like little things that it's not even from an extreme sport thing, but you've, you've had some sort of injury, but you just keep going. Some of the injuries I've had, they've been some of the, the darkest time, more so when I was young, when I yeah. didn't necessarily have these mind, mindful things to turn to. But every injury has always led to something great. Mm -hmm. It's always led me to put my focus where I always avoid or like put my focus into internal stuff or work on something new or go to a new environment. And I'm actually, I've grown to really love that rehabilitation process of coming back from something because- you really, really understand small steps. Let's just say last year I broke my leg and it was like, ah, oh, fuck, here we go again. But it was like, I'm excited because I'm grateful for the one leg that works. And then I'm grateful for on week two that I can put a little bit of pressure on it. And like, I learned to really be grateful for these things that are taken for granted every single day. Mm -hmm. And although I don't think injuries are good, but like what they can teach you can be life-changing. Mm -hmm. And also it reminds you that, there's exercises and workouts to really prepare your body to have a less chance of being injured, which is why I work with a coach to really train my strength, mobility, and allow my body to kind of get into these weird positions that will hopefully not injure them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, injuries have taught me a lot and, and shows me what, I, what I'm grateful for. Mm. I want to go back to foiling. Yes. <laughs> when you are foiling, you're there, you're flying literally on water are you thinking what's going through your head talk to me about that whole entire process foiling in general what is it that is so addictive it's such a magnificent feeling like you have to have your focus so dialed in because it's like you are one with the foil <laughs> although you are one with the ocean but like in terms of you and the surfboard there is a slight disconnect you can kind of like look around and take your focus elsewhere because you can still go in a straight line. But with a foil, your whole body has to be activated because it's like this weird emotion and, and movement that you're like activating this. You want the board to lift, but you also need to face it down. And if you lose your concentration for a second, the foil will take control and breach. And breaching a foil means that the foil will go out of the water and then you lose your traction or your nosedive. You have to be so focused and dialed in as a whole mind-body connection that it brings this presence, which is just unexplainable. And I think obviously as I'm starting to improve and, and get a little bit better, I can kind of look around and, and take that focus away. But it's more of a second nature thing at this point because I've been doing it for – I haven't been doing it for long, but every day <laughs> for two years pretty much. Yeah, I don't know. Just the presence that it brings is is unreal. Is there like – something that you want to get to with foiling? Is it just that, are you chasing something in, in that energy or is it just doing it for the, the joy of it? Yeah, I think I'm definitely 
doing it for the joy ultimately. Like it just brings me such a source of happiness and joy and self-improvement is is something I'm really passionate about. And on the other side of it just bringing me joy for that simple reason, I also am very, very competitive. And it's at this point in time where it's very early. It's it's a fairly new sport. Although foiling itself was was designed and, and discovered in 1973 in, in the America's Cup, the Australian sailing team actually invented the first foil to create the boat to have that little bit more lift mm. to beat the American team, which had dominated the America's Cup for like the last 30 or something years. So that was the first actual foil that was built to just give that boat that little bit of lift with that forward momentum to make it faster through the water. But then only like eight years ago, a, a surfer named Laird Hamilton brought that concept into surfing and he started doing it on these big waves and people were like, what the hell is this guy doing? He's floating above the water on this stick and it just looks so unreal. It doesn't make sense. And then nowadays more more people are getting into it, getting into it. And I've always had this mindset that anything is literal, anything is possible. And I'm a big believer of saying I'm going to do something and, and doing it. And with foiling, I really have this burning fire inside me that I believe in my heart that I can be the best. And I'll rest well if I'm not. And there's a lot of people that are way better than me. And that's probably always going to be the case. But I'm like, I want to be the best. And by me being the best, it's just, just for me. Like, I want to be the best I can be. Mm. Not necessarily best in the world, although I'd love to be. And I believe that if I committed everything I could. But I just do it because I love it. And I want to be as best as I can possibly be at it for myself and see where it goes. Talk to me about flow state. So, so many of the things that you do are for this flow state, like you described. You get in flow state DJing. You get in flow state when you're foiling. You get in flow state when you're surfing, eating. Like, What does flow feel like to someone that feels like maybe they've never been in flow before? Because I think we live in a day and age where so many people are so desensitized from what their actual joy is and maybe are even so self-conscious that they – aren't willing to be the beginner. And I think that's something that you're really good at. And maybe you could even talk about that. Like you have this thing where you'll pick anything up and you'll just try it. And I think a lot of people don't do that. So they never actually find what they're good at and they never actually discover flow. So if someone was wanting to try something new and kind of get into flow state, like what even is flow state to someone that maybe has never experienced that? I guess the flow state is when you're fully immersed in the moment and nothing else matters where, you know, you're not thinking about anything, you're fully present and you start to have this, I guess this, the Oslo filter on Instagram, <laughs> where everything's slightly more vibrant. Yeah. Flow state to me is like that on a visual point, but on a feeling point, it's like anything is possible where time doesn't exist and you don't need to be anywhere except right now. And, and you're so connected to the moment that you feel like magic can happen and magic truly can happen when you're in the flow state. And and it feels different for anyone. I think these days it's a lot harder for people to be in the flow state because we're so stimulated and we have so many distractions and, and ways to procrastinate and to really our reflex organ to like grab our phone or to grab something. It's like, it's very accessible all the time. But when you remove all these factors and, and you allow yourself to be fully in the moment and do an activity or, or an action or go for a walk or whether that's training or just completely avoid those distractions, you will find this this timeless moment that brings you so much joy that you just want to continue to be in it or revolve your life around that moment. And that's what I think life should be like is like we have the opportunity to, to not let time construct our days if we do things we enjoy. And that's how I want to live mm. is in the flow state. So sick. Talking about digital wellness, which you just touched on, overstimulation, as someone that like you know so many people and so many people know you and you have a phone that is blowing up all the time. I can be a testament to that. I have spent enough time with you. I've stayed at your house enough times. I've been friends with you for years. Like your phone does not stop. And it's just like a mixture of work and people and friends and family. How is it like as a person that's on social media that is following all these different passions, do you have any sort of advice for people that are wanting just to navigate one, just being more present and enjoying life and like not getting sucked into that overstimulation? Because 
I don't know if you're aware of it, but I think you do it pretty well. Like it's your phone blows up way. I think you give your number out like freely because you're such a nice person. <laughs> Whereas I'm like, no one has my number. <laughs> no one's hitting me up. It's a like, bit of a war zone. <laughs> <laughs> but you like, you're such a open free flowing person with that. Like, how do you manage that? The reason why I do give, it's such a funny thing that you just said this because I was thinking about this the other day. I'm just like, I get to meet all these amazing people in my life and I might cross paths with them in the future somewhere in the world. And I think it's cool to have all these connections around the world. To feel safe in, in any part of the world is, is a really nice gift. I'm not the best example with how to deal with phone use because some days I'm horrible. I'll be in it all day and I'm like, I feel low, I feel tired and I don't like how I feel. But then I came up with some simple rules that I try to follow. I try my best to. And when I do follow this, this formula, my day is a thousand times better. And I am the master of my phone. The phone is on the master of me. And I think the main thing is not touching it for the first hour. You taught me this, Rochelle. Don't touch it for the first hour. And then before bed, I put my phone to bed. I don't let my phone put me to bed. So an hour before bed, I put it away. And then there's that hour before bed where I, I am not in control of this technology. I'm not a cyborg. I'm not just a product of my phone. My phone is just something I can use when I want. It's a tool. No, it's not me. And I think having that discipline to, to turn it off and not let it dictate my days really helped with not giving my brain that bit of serotonin first thing in the morning so then I can control it for the rest of the day and mm. not reflex reach for it every five minutes. Mm. 100%. I think uh, we've had like a lot of conversations about this. You, me, Chris, we've talked a lot about digital wellness. I think as people that are in this industry, it's prevalent because everyone we hang out with is kind of running stuff for themselves. So we have to be on, but we also know that being on takes us out and off of actual life. So we're always finding a balance. Something that you said to me that Sol and I still use that I want to mention is the portal. <laughs> the portal so you have i think when you can name it you can kill it and you were someone that like basically came up with this idea of oh you're in the portal sorry i got portal and it was this concept that sol and i now use that when we see one of us getting like really sucked in like you're on reels and you're on the short form content and you're on like maybe a really good comedy page and you're just in there for half an hour and you've lost it literally the portal and that to me like having that naming of it and even you you joke about it but then you'll just throw your phone on the other side of the room i've seen you do it so many times you're like i just got portals that's why i have a broken phone 99 percent of the time thank <laughs> god apple is such good phones because i freaking chuck them everywhere and like fly out they still work yeah <laughs> I love that you're really strict with the digital wellness stuff in the morning. It's so helpful because basically like when we check our phones first thing in the morning, it just like signals to our receptors like, oh, that's what we're set up for today. And you just scattered from the absolute start of the day. My day is so much better when I don't check my phone first thing in the morning. It's completely normal for it to be the first thing you want to reach for because it's just how our brain is wired. So true. I always say that the door to the subconscious mind is open first thing in the morning and last thing before you go to bed. So whatever you imprint and social media, like I have a thing at the moment checking my emails, but because uh, I'm waiting for some big emails from the UK. Exciting. But, yeah, exciting stuff. But basically, if you check social media, this is the mad danger zone because it's like, what is the worst thing for your subconscious mind when you're trying to manifest or do cool things in your life? Well, it's to go on a highlights reel of everybody else's life and just go through like literally just the highs. What is that going to do for the rest of your day? You're instantly in comparison. You're instantly looking at everyone else's shit. You're instantly comparing and, and pulling yourself out of your life and looking at someone else's. That's why like it's so important to focus on yourself first thing in the morning. What is Alex's morning routine? As I said before, it's like there's not a hard routine. It's like a menu, yeah. you know, it's like you go, you know, when you're hungry and you go to a, a lunch restaurant and, you know, there's a hundred things you can choose and it's just how you feel because you want that type of food. It's like today I might want to meditate or today I might want to do breath work or today I might want to read a book or today I might want to write in my journal or today I'll go for a paddle. Or, there's just so many things I can do. I think as long as I'm checking three to five a day, I'll be pretty good. I love to give action steps in this podcast. I think for anyone listening, I think there's so many people that rebel against the idea of a morning routine. I know I did for years. And if you like listen to Alex, like you could literally sit down with a notepad and pen and write down your own menu. What is it that you could have as a menu? It's like literally the daily living menu. Let's call it that. Your action step for this podcast is to write yourself a daily living menu 
of all of the things that you could go and do and just write them out and then just choose from that every single day. It's literally like when you go to a restaurant, isn't it so funny? Like you don't necessarily pick the same thing every single day. Yeah, you got your favorites, but then sometimes instead of the bacon egg roll, I want the pancakes. Yeah. So it's just like mixing it up to see where we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you say that because I have a whiteboard at home and it says live daily on the top of it. And it's like a checklist of, I don't know how many exactly, but let's just say a hundred things that I can do. Mm-hmm. There's like 20 main ones that, you know, are, are, are the top tier. And then there's medium tier and then there's bottom tier. And then I can look at that and be like, I'll take five of them. And if I'm feeling really disciplined the night before, I will pre-organize what things I will do the next morning. But if it's like a, a bit of a, oh, I'm frazzled at a certain point of time. I'll revert back to the menu and just pick something. And then from that something, I'll do something else. It's that, that momentum that really helps build those routines. And there's also something that I, I say recently that I will talk about this retreat they're at. This is whole saying that you need to spend money to make money. And there'll be times where I'm really tired and I don't feel like doing anything. And it's good to listen to your body when you feel that way. But then you also have to realize that you have to spend energy to create energy. Mm. You have to spend energy to make energy. So you have to put that first step forward, put that first foot forward, and then the momentum will build. And then that's going to help give you the energy to show up for yourself. Because that's the most important thing you can do is just show up for yourself. When you think about why you keep going and doing everything, is there like a purpose behind it? Something that's driving you? Something that like you're trying to reach for? I just think I can change the world. And I think everyone can. I think every human in this world has the opportunity to change it because once you change yourself, it's a massive ripple effect. You drop a baby pebble or a baby rock in the ocean, the ripples are going to move far and wide. So if you can focus on changing yourself and letting your actions speak and your energy and the aura speak, that will make such a bigger change that you can even fathom. Like it's wild. There's a good TV show on this, actually. I don't really plug any TV shows because I'm not like too much of a fan, but there's this one TV show that I watched recently called Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. And it's an amazing, an amazing metaphor for how one person can really change a whole community and a whole country. That's an amazing visual metaphor in an entertaining way and an in- enjoyable way to show how one person can change the world. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel with myself. I believe I can change the world just as like you can change the world and you are changing the world. And I guess that's a big part of my purpose. Love that. One thing I want to just circle to before we wrap up is drinking. So I'm on a journey right now where I'm 10 months sober and you're actually someone that has gone a year before with no drinking. A year and a quarter. Okay. year and a quarter. And like as a 25 year old, like how old were you when you did that? Like 24, 23? No, I was, it was after I I saw the psychologist 24th of August, 2018. That was the day that I started. It was when I started to get the antidepressants and it was like alcohol. No. And so I was like, I'm going to stop for a month. And then I kept going for over a year. It was like a year and a quarter. And then I had one night when I was sitting with my dad and it was just like, it it felt natural. And then I didn't drink for months after that. And that allowed me to have control because I am ADHD and I have to be aware of that. I have to be aware that if I'm not conscious of my actions, my actions can then ruin me because I just, I just want to feel something, I guess. And I, I gained the discipline over time that. I can control when I do it. And being a DJ now, yeah, there'll, there'll be nights that I will drink alcohol, but at least I know I can live without it. And mm-hmm. that was a, a big thing is I think alcohol is really bad, <laughs> as fun as it is and it, as nice as it is to have a drink. There's so much science now that shows that it reduces white matter in our brain. It, it makes us age. It, like There's a lot of things that show that it's not good for us. But also on the other hand of it, it's the guilt that's the worst thing as well. So if you let yourself off the reins here and there. It's okay. But just be aware of your actions. Be conscious of your actions. How is someone that, like, you're someone that is around so many people. You're invited to so many events. You're doing so many cool things. How did you navigate that one year? Like someone that's listening to this right now that looks up to you and is, you know what? I really want to figure out my mental health, start looking after myself, like follow like more of a live daily philosophy and drinking is something that is holding them back and not the most positive thing for them. What advice would you give to someone like that, that is wanting to still go out and socialize and be around people, but also wanting to take a break from alcohol? Like, how did you navigate that socially? It was really challenging, but what I was really grateful for and still to this day is having a really good support group of friends that understand and are there to help. There's always going to be the people that are out saying, oh, come on, just have a drink. There's so many places where I was like, no, I'm not drinking. And it was like, I was the weird one mm. for not wanting to. 
And then that just made me discover who my real friends were. And I think it was a massive eye opener that certain people weren't there for me. They were just, I guess, there to project their flaws and feel insecure when I'm not doing the same, I guess. Mm. I don't know if that sounded right, but yeah. but yeah, it was hard. I think removing from certain social situations and I think the first month is the hardest mm. or definitely the first two weeks. Just have a plan, go somewhere, hang with people that will keep you away from it. And then after the first month, you really feel like you don't need it. And then I just kept rolling with that momentum and started going out and having more fun. And I was a designated driver and like my friends loved me for that year. I was driving everywhere and it was sick. I, I could still go out. I was still DJing and I had this real purpose like, hey, I'm going to be the sober DJ. And like that's that's kind of what led a lot of that drive. And yeah, I think just be around the right people and make it clear, make it known and just really stick with it. Draw a line in the sand because every time you make make a promise and then you overstep it, makes it harder to follow that promise next time. Alex, such good advice. I have absolutely loved having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. I know we'll do more podcasts in the future. I think I need to get you and Sol on the podcast oh, together. Oh, we talk for hours. Like, that'll be like a multi-step podcast. But where can people find you if they want to check out your stuff? Yeah, direct everyone as to where are you these days? Instagram, YouTube. Yeah, I think majority of the platforms i'm on just alex hayes but um yeah you don't have to follow me just look after yourself have fun <laughs> go check out his stuff you'll literally see the guy flying over water it's insane i i love following you because for me it's just a disruptor in my feed of just like thirst traps and like <laughs> knowledge videos and all of this shit's going and then i see alex i'm like ah alex is flying on water again <laughs> <laughs> so cool life's life's a dream it's yeah. insane so good thank you so much alex thank i'll you. see you in the next one see ya bye Thank you for joining me for this episode. You can discover more from Mindspo on Instagram and TikTok by following at Mindspo and myself at Rochelle underscore Fox. If this episode inspired you, then please pass it on and share the love. And if you're new to our world and you want to elevate your mind and step into your best self, then be sure to download our app Manifesty from the App Store and take advantage of the free trial. With Manifesty, you can create your own vision board movies, practice powerful meditations and set affirmation reminders so your phone supports your journey towards that abundant vision of your future. And lastly, always remember, you create your own reality. So go and make some magic.